0: If you would, I'd like to confess our faith together using the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, a teaching tool of the church, uh, using Lord's Day 22. I'll read the bold, and then if you would, respond with the answer there on the screen as we talk about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting today. So question 57, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only my soul will be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but even my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And then, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no man has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Amen. That's a beautiful confession. And so let's open the Word of God together to the book of John, chapter 11, the book of John, chapter 11. We'll be uh, reading verses 17 to 27, and then 38 to 44. Uh, it's the story of Lazarus, and we could read the whole chapter. It's a lengthy chapter, so I wanted to break up the reading some, but I would encourage you uh, later today, please go home and And read the whole story. There at John chapter 11, verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord as it is read for you. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then skipping down to verse 38, as Jesus comes to the tomb, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amen. So far the reading of God's word. Let's ask for him to add his blessing to it. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. It is a perfect word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are with us. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit now. to to bless this word to our hearts. Give us uh, open hearts to hear your word. And Lord, may we see Jesus Christ and him crucified today, we pray. Amen. Well, congregation, earlier this summer, I started my week off in a graveyard, and perhaps some of you did as well. It was Memorial Day, and I was there in a small town in upstate New York, a little village You know, it looks like it hasn't changed since 1800. The whole town painted red, white, and blue. And the whole town shut down on Memorial Day. And we saw the VFW marching right through Main Street. Right through Main Street. Then you had the Little League marching through Main Street. You had the firemen marching through Main Street. Everyone marching through Main Street. And everyone ended up in the graveyard to decorate the graves of those who have fallen in defense of our nation. It's an interesting thing to see the living in the place of the dead. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but you know what? That's where we meet Jesus Christ this morning. We meet Jesus Christ in the graveyard here in the story of Lazarus. And if I could sum up the message for you today in a sentence, it would be this. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, even, even for those who have been in the grave for four days. Even for those who seem so far beyond our reach, because they are, Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. That is comfort for us as Christians in life and in death, for body and soul. And it's worth reflecting on. So to begin with, I want to look at how Lazarus was not beyond the reach of Christ. And you know, the story of Lazarus, it's famous. It's a tremendous story, and John moves through the story very slowly. He brings in all kinds of little details to help emphasize the gravity of the situation. We can feel the emotions of the situation just dripping from the pages of Scripture Right? It's like a slow-motion shot in a movie. He's just emphasizing all these little things. When Christ and the disciples hear that Lazarus was sick, we can't help but think that Jesus is just going to ride in on a white horse and save the day like he always does. Jesus even says, you know, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. We've seen this a million times then. Guy gets sick, Jesus shows up and heals him. And this time it's Christ's own friend. I mean, of course Lazarus is going to be healed. Of course. We've seen this a million times. But you know what? Instead, this time it doesn't happen that way, does it? Instead, we read that Lazarus dies while Jesus is nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Jesus and the disciples then decide to march to the funeral of their friend Lazarus. And Thomas says that it's likely going to be their funeral as well, if the Jewish leaders have anything to say about it. And as readers, you know, we find ourselves just scratching our head, thinking, you know, what is going on? What are they thinking? Why would you let your friend die if you could help him and then risk your life to go see his dead body? That's strange, isn't it? And you know what we do? We find ourselves questioning the wisdom of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, when you or I are questioning the wisdom of the Lord, we need to question our questions, don't we? The Lord knows best. Go to him in faith. Well, we read that Jesus showed up four days late. And the body would have stunk by this point, you know, sitting in the heat. And I can't help but relating to Martha. Can't help but feel her pain as we hear her say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And who here in this church has not prayed that prayer before? Who here has not prayed for a loved one, for a relative to be healed, to get better? And instead of healing them, they only get worse. They only get worse. They aren't healed and they die. Martha knows something of your pain. Martha knows something of that. But notice what Martha says in verse 22. The story doesn't stop there. Even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Imagine her emotional state at this moment. You know, many of her friends had come into town to console her. Uh, Mary, her sister, is sitting inside, presumably sobbing. Had Martha been crying all morning, only to hear that Jesus was now there? What's going through her head? You know, we know that she wondered why Jesus hadn't come sooner. But now that Jesus was there, she's gotten up to go meet him. We have to wonder, why go meet the man? right? She's been probably sitting Shiva, right? And she gets up from the house. She goes out. She walks out to meet Jesus. What's going through her mind? I wonder, did she think that Jesus could still raise her brother from the dead? Perhaps. You know, we read in other Gospels that Jesus raised others from the dead, but four days after the fact, four days after the fact, the Jews had a superstition. They thought that after death, the spirit kind of floated around the body for a day or two. It was superstition. It wasn't true. But four days, no. No, that's, uh, that's unheard of. That's a real miracle she'd be asking for. Four days after the fact. No, get real. She's asking for a real miracle. A, a Super Bowl-sized miracle here with a four-day late resurrection. It's a big ask. And whether that's what Martha was really looking for or not, we don't know for sure. But Jesus replies and tells her, Lazarus is going to rise. And Martha agrees, but she doesn't seem content with just believing that Lazarus is going to be raised in the last day of days. She came to Jesus, and she wants more. And Jesus replies, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. And then he says, Do you believe this? And Martha says, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And with these words, we have Jesus making a divinity claim. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha confesses, yes, you are. You're the son of God. You're equal with the father. You are God in the flesh. While her brother's flesh is rotting in the tomb. Are these just going to prove to be the pious sounding words of church people? Is that all this is? Well, Jesus arrives at the tomb and sees the grave and there's that well-known verse many of us have memorized, right? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Christ is not apathetic to our suffering. He wept. He cried over Lazarus. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to lose a friend. And he wept. But so often... The question on the minds of the mourners is our question as well. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept him from dying? In other words, they know that Jesus cares. They know that Jesus loved Lazarus. But the question is, is death too much for Jesus to overcome? Is this too hard for the Lord of the universe to overcome? Is he unable Is it too much? Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha, moments ago, she was a pillar of the faith. She confessed, you are the Son of God, the Christ coming into the world. Pillar of the faith. Now she's hunched over in the corner in unbelief, right? Lazarus is going to stink at this point. He's going to smell She's saying, you don't have to do that. Forget that I even mentioned that. Don't move the stone. Forget it. It was a silly idea. I shouldn't have bothered you. I shouldn't have said anything. Hunched over in the corner in unbelief. Brothers and sisters, isn't that a picture of the Christian right there? All too often it is. You know, we're here Sunday morning praising the Lord of glory, saying, you are the God of the universe. You are sovereign over life and death. You hold every hair in your hand. And then Monday morning hits, and it's right back to the hospital. It's right back to life as usual. And we're shaking like a leaf. And the waves are coming this way and that. And we feel just like Martha, don't we? Our faith is tried and tested. And we're weak people. We are. We are. But I want to tell you that there's good news for weak people. There's good news for Martha. And there's good news for you and for me. And the good news is this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and always. Even for a doubting Martha. Even for you and me. And he says to take the stone away. And at his word, at his word, the protest stopped. At his word, the stone was rolled away. At his word, Martha gave up her doubt. At his word, Lazarus came marching out of that tomb just like a mummy still dressed up with the grave clothes, every doubt done away with. Lazarus could not resist that word. Martha couldn't resist that word. The grave couldn't resist the word of Christ. Nobody can resist Christ's word, the word of life. Lazarus boys and girls, was not sitting in the tomb, twiddling his thumbs, trying to work up the will within himself to say, today is going to be the day that I answer the call. He wasn't doing that. He heard the word of Christ and he came walking out. It's life and death. It was irresistible grace that drew Lazarus to life. And it's irresistible grace that draws each and every Christian to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's easy to see. Paul says we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God gave us new life. He's called us out of death into his marvelous light, a resurrected life. That's what the Christian life is. That's what the Christian life is. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, and he calls us again today as his people, Lazarus, come forth. He is the resurrection. Look to him for your life. I'd like to focus on that idea of resurrection in the story. Look with me at verse 24 at what Martha says. She says this, I know that he, that is Lazarus, will rise again in the resurrection of the dead. And what's remarkable about that verse, that statement, is just how unremarkable it seems in the text, right? Right? It's just kind of assumed, it's kind of passe. Of course he's going to rise again. Everybody knows that. The last day, everybody's going to be raised from the dead. It's assumed. Well, today, that's not really assumed by many people outside of the church, that there's going to be a bodily resurrection of all people. That's the the historic teaching of the church. We're going to be raised in our bodies at the end of the world to new life. We need to focus on that for a little bit. First, let me start with the obvious. Boys and girls, Jesus has real power to raise real dead people, literal dead people. Lazarus was not a fairy tale. We're talking about literal flesh and blood people here. Jesus literally raised him from the dead. He doesn't have fairy tale power. He has real power. And you know what? That's good because you and I have real problems. I do not have fairy tale problems, do you? I have real problems. I have a real Savior. That's comfort for you and me. And that's obvious in the Bible, but we can forget how important that is. You know, I used to work construction, and uh, one day I was talking to one of my coworkers. And of course, you know, these guys are talking. We talk about, hey, when's the next day off, right? And uh, he says, I don't know. I I think it's Good Friday. I says, yeah, what? Good Friday, what? I don't even know. What's Good Friday about? What's Good Friday about? I have no idea. I was surprised. You know, he's about my age, almost 30 years old. And I said, well, you know, Good Friday is when Christians remember that uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and then, Easter Sunday, we remember that he rose from the dead. And he looked at me like I had two heads. He's like, wait, you mean like from the dead dead? Like the dead dead? I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like from the dead dead, like real death. That's what Jesus was raised from. I don't think he'd ever heard that before. He got off from school all the time for Easter break, but he didn't know what Easter was about. People don't know about the resurrection. People don't know about Jesus, and they need to be told. The resurrection of the body is huge. It's amazing, and, you know, we grow up in the church. We can forget how amazing that is. The Bible says Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, Jesus' resurrection, Easter is the proof of the general resurrection. He's the start of the harvest. The Apostle Paul says that without the resurrection of the body, you and I as Christians are fools. We're fools. He says we're the most pitiable people on the planet without the resurrection. But guess what? There is a resurrection, and that's why Paul was willing to be persecuted, to be stoned, to be whipped, to be shipwrecked, to be abandoned and ultimately executed because he knew that there was a resurrection of the body. It's good news. In Lazarus, you and I have a sort of sneak peek at that final resurrection, but it's very different than our final resurrection is going to be. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but you know what? He had to die again. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he'll never die again. Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection, not Lazarus. A Christian will never die, spiritually speaking. And when we die, physically speaking, we will rise again into a glorified body like Christ's body. Instead of being resurrected into a perishable body, it'll be a glorified body body because Christ is the first fruits of our resurrection, not Lazarus. Let me put this in simple English. Our new bodies are going to have no more aches and pains, no more pimples, no more headaches, no more suffering, no more tiredness, no more heart attacks, no more cancer, no more dementia, no more Alzheimer's, no more death. No more pain. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That sounds wonderful to me. We're going to be in the prime of life for all eternity. But we're not there yet, are we? And as we see our bodies age, we need to remember that simple little verse, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He did not weep over the death of Lazarus's soul, brothers and sisters. Lazarus went to be with the Lord immediately after death. His spirit never died, his body died. Jesus wept over Lazarus's bodily death. God cares about you, body and soul. The Bible is clear on this, and yet somehow we get this in the back of our heads that God doesn't care about our bodies. He does he wept over Lazarus. He created us body and soul, and it says in Genesis, it is good. It is good. Now, after and death, and that's tragic, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know what it's like when we see our bodies falling apart? It's like when you get a check engine light coming on in your car blinking at you, saying, hey, Something ain't right here. You need to get this thing into the shop. The mechanic's got to take a look. When our bodies start hurting, they start falling apart, we need to take these things to the great mechanic, the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to go to him and remember that he has come to redeem us, body and soul. He's getting our attention. And though we have to wait for our body to be raised, I love how the Heidelberg says that at death, not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And it highlights there that word immediately. Immediately our soul goes to God, even as our bodies wait in the grave. In other words, there's life beyond the material world, life beyond, boys and girls, what science can put in a test tube. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, today you will be with me in paradise. He said that to a wretched sinner, on the cross next door, two seconds ago, making fun of him. Today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, you don't have to wait three days. You don't have to wait a hundred years. You don't have to wait a thousand years. You don't have to wait 2,000 or 3,000 years to be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The gospel has the power to free a wretched sinner immediately from his sins. You and I can have assurance of salvation today because of the gospel, because of the word of life that Christ offers. We don't need to go wait in a place called purgatory that certain churches teach. That is nothing but superstition. That is nowhere in the Bible. That's a tradition of man. There is no room for purgatory or a waiting room for us to Burn off sin. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today, today you'll be with me. He gives us forgiveness full and free. He declares us righteous on the spot when we're justified. That's a beautiful thing. There's no room for a waiting room. No room for soul sleep. No room for this thing called reincarnation. No room for second chances. Brothers and sisters, this one life is it. It is appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. No amount of redos would even help if we were to say reincarnation was true. Because you know what would happen? You'd just be heaping up more and more sin every single day. Because you and I sin every single day. We can't keep the Ten Commandments for even a day. We would be heaping up nothing but bad karma. In other words, the Bible says our righteousness is as nothing but filthy rags before the Father. Jesus says, be perfect, even as my heavenly Father is perfect. We need a substitute. We don't need just a good teacher. We need the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus is that Lamb of God. That's why he died on the cross, to save us from our sins. It's a beautiful message of free grace. And he calls to the world again today, Lazarus, come forth. I am the resurrection and the life. Find your hope. Find your resurrection, your life in Jesus Christ. And I'd like to talk then in closing about what does it mean when we say that Jesus is the life? the life everlasting, eternal life. That's a huge, important topic for us as Christians. Life, right? Well, We were talking about the resurrection, and we said there's a tension in the Christian life, right, with the resurrection. We're waiting for our bodies ultimately to be resurrected. There's an already and a not yet tension in the Christian life when it comes to the resurrection. Though we have to die physically, Spiritually, as Christians, we can't. You know why? Because as Christians, the old man, the old man of sin, has already died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ and raised to new life in Christ, spiritually speaking. Our bodies still have to die, but our souls have already died and been resurrected. Look at what Christ says in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus calls us to believe on him alone for eternal life, starting now. Again, I love how the Heidelberg talks about this life everlasting. It says, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of of eternal joy. So after this life, I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. We get just a little small taste of that joy right now in this life, but it's going to be so much better when we finally get to heaven. That is going to be such a beautiful moment for all eternity. Spiritually, brothers and sisters, a Christian never dies. Christ resurrected Lazarus to show and confirm to us that his words are not fairy tale words. They're not just nice, sentimental-sounding things, you know, pious words of church people. They're not just a greeting card. They have real-world power. He's the resurrection and the life for real. His word is not just a get well card and flowers and balloons when you're in the hospital as wonderful as that encouragement is. You know what I'm looking for when I'm in the hospital? I'm looking to have the best doctor in the world in my corner, aren't you? We have the great physician in our corner with Jesus Christ. That is wonderful hope that should comfort us. I'm sure it comforted Mary and Martha and Lazarus to have the great physician in their corner, didn't it? And you know, it's interesting that as we read the story of Lazarus, John doesn't really talk much about what happened afterwards there, that scene. He kind of tails off and he says, well, some believed and, and some didn't, And then we hear how the Jewish leaders then, in response to Christ resurrecting Lazarus, decided it was a good idea to try to kill the guy. Interesting. I wonder, though, you know, John doesn't record it, I wonder what Lazarus had to say when they got that grave cloth off his face, you know. What comes out of your mouth once you've uh, come back from the grave? Did he start dancing? What do you think Mary and Martha were like when they got their brother back from the clutches of death? I don't think these two women were very stoic, do you? I mean, they've been crying for days on end. They get their brother back. I can't imagine how joyous that occasion must have been. What a beautiful picture, right? The joy that must have filled their hearts getting their brother back from death. And that's a little picture of the joy you and I, as Christians, get to experience in this life. It's not a perfect joy, but it's a true joy, nonetheless. It's a true joy. A resurrection to new spiritual life is no less real, brothers and sisters. Being born again is no less real than Lazarus getting up and walking out of the grave We've been saved not just from the grave, but from the grave of graves. We've been saved from hell by the word of Christ. Scripture says the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner who repents. And we get just a little taste of that joy in this life because the joy of the Lord is our strength. But you know, I feel like Martha in this world, don't you? The joy that you and I feel today, it's here today and gone tomorrow in so many instances in my life. I waver like Martha. But the good news is one day, that's all going to end. One day when we get to heaven, all the the hills and the valleys are going to be done away with. And we're going to be in perfect peace when we see our Savior face-to-face, when our faith shall be sight. It's going to be beyond what the senses can comprehend, is what the Catechism is talking about. It's going to be so wonderful when we get to heaven. Our bodies are going to be perfect. We're going to have perfect life forever and ever. That is comfort for us in life and death, body and soul, as Christians. But, you know, I want to... Tell you, we don't live there yet, do we? And I'd like to land this thing where you and I live. And you know where we live? We live in the graveyard. You and I live in the graveyard of this world. And when I look at the world, I see a world that's depressed and dejected. I see a world that struggles with suicide and hatred, racism and bigotry. I see a world in which school shootings are happening more and more frequently. I see a world with gang violence. I see a world in which people just... They're trying to numb the pain with anything they can get their hands on. Drugs, sex, alcohol, anything. It's the graveyard. It's the way of death. And the world knows full well that they got that check engine light on, don't they? Blinking, blinking, blinking. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Let me try numbing it with drugs. Let me try numbing it with a facelift. Let me try numbing it with a new spouse. Maybe that'll help. Blinking, blinking, blinking. And you know what's going on? They're not taking it to the Lord. They're getting a piece of duct tape and putting it right on that check engine light. Let me ignore. And the engine's going to blow. They're headed for certain death. The moment someone's born into this world, there's a coffin with their name on it. And they're going to be heading for a resurrection as well. But it will not be a good resurrection. They're headed for the resurrection to death and to death and to death and to death. A resurrection of outer darkness where the flame will not flicker, and the worm will never die, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. It will be awful. Awful. But that's the word of Christ. Hell is real. But that's not the end of the story, is it? The world needs to hear the word of Christ He comes to us again today, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Beautiful words. Words that the graveyard of this world needs to hear. Go into the graveyard this week, keeping the word of life, the word of Christ, a free forgiveness for sinners on your lips. Well, perhaps you say, Yeah, but, you know, I'd go talk to my neighbors, except they've been in the grave for four days now. They're so far beyond the reach of Christ. They'll never believe. They'll never believe. Sure, Lazarus, you know, he was in the grave for four days. My neighbor's been in the grave for 44 years. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ can reach even into the grave and save sinners. Go in the knowledge and the certainty that no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. No one, no matter where they've been, whatever sins they're involved in, there is no type of church person. There is only dead people and people who are made alive by the word of Christ. Go bring that word, that resurrection word, to the world this week. And I'd also like to say, I've never been to this church I don't know you and perhaps someone here in our midst has wandered into this building this morning from the graveyard. Perhaps you don't know why you're here. Perhaps you just had a feeling you needed to be here today. And I want to tell you today that the word of Christ is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. The word of Christ says, be forgiven, come to me, I am the resurrection and the life. You do not try to save yourself from the grave, do you? You'd have to be out of your mind to try to save yourself from the grave, You'd have to be out of your mind to try to save yourself from hell. You need a Savior. You need Jesus Christ in your life. And he offers the gospel to us all today. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the resurrection and the life. Come. Come to Jesus and experience that new life, that new birth. He is a mighty Savior, able to save to the uttermost. Praise the Lord. Find your life in his death. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life that you have given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell, and was raised again that we might know that we too will be raised. And Lord, we thank you for the eternal life that you've given us by sheer grace, not that we deserved it, Lord, but by sheer grace you save. And so I pray that if there be any here who do not know you, that they may come to know you as Savior and Lord of their life. Lord, may you receive all the glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.